This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, March 21st. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride stands by Ukraine. G is for government previews Telluride Town Council meeting. Capital Conversation talks Colorado budget and a mountain weather forecast. On a blustery Sunday morning, several dozen Telluridians silently march down Main Street. Silent march is always more powerful than, in that case, we can't yell anything out. It's in respect to all the ones who have already died on both sides. That's Barbal Haka, the organizer of the march. Marchers are wearing blue and yellow, the colors of the Ukrainian flag, holding and passing out sunflowers, Ukraine's national flower. They have become a sign of support for the country since the war began. The aim of the march is to show solidarity and support for the people of Ukraine. As the march moves down Main Street, several people join in, cars honk. Lucas Price holds a sunflower as he walks down the street. He says he's trying to walk the walk of peace. I thought we were over this, so just the least I can do. There's not a lot I can do from here, except stand in solidarity. A shopkeeper yells from her storefront. Marchers range from 10 years old to 91. I'm Zoe Cooper and I'm 10 years old. Ukraine is under a lot of pressure and they want to not give up to Russia and so I think that they need a lot of support. Paul Bosch is in town visiting his daughter, Sarah Holbrook. He's been marching for years. Well, yes, I've marched with Martin Luther King and other such things in the 60s and the 70s. I'm 91 years old. <laughs> Anyhow. You have one last march left yeah. in you. Right, by golly. It may not change people's minds, but I think it'll draw attention to the important issue. For Julie McNair, marching in support of Ukraine feels like a tangible thing to do. My heart hurts, and so this is something that I can do. And yes, it doesn't do a whole lot for the Ukrainians, but I'm with them nonetheless. Sarah Smith is visiting Telluride, but joined the march on Sunday to be part of community and send good energy towards those in Ukraine. I think that it's important everywhere. I mean, art, theater, it brings a spark of community like it's life. Otherwise, we just end up with kind of our life force strained. I mean, if we don't stand up for something as simple as this, what is the point of standing up for anything, right? The march finishes back at the courthouse. For Hacka, it was everything she wanted it to be. I'm very happy that we gathered and did a silent march through town, and the town turned silent for a moment. Whoever was on the street or in the cafe just took a second, and that's for me the important part. Marchers are encouraged to take selfies with their sunflowers and post them on social media with the hashtag StandbyUkraine a small token of hope and solidarity from halfway around the world. (music) 
Telluride's town council meeting on Tuesday is packed with everything from tourism funding to noise ordinances, short-term rental regulations to parklets. In this installment of G is for Government, council member Geneva Shawnette previews what to expect. Have a listen. Hey Geneva, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Absolutely. So Telluride Town Council is going to be back with its regularly scheduled meeting on Tuesday. You're going to start the day with a few work sessions. Can you share what those are going to be looking at? Yeah, we've got a couple hot topics in the morning. Um, our first work session at 10 a.m. is going to be discuss it, uh, discussion uh, and work session with the Town Council regarding the scope of services for marketing Telluride Inc. Um, basically, we're going to be talking about how we're moving forward with Marketing Telluride Inc., also known as MTI, also known as the Telluride Tourism Board. Uh, we did have uh, an election item in our last election ballot question where we opted out of uh, the county lodging tax, which went 100% to MTI. And now the town council, um, we replaced it with a town of Telluride tax of the same amount. And the voters approved that. So now um, that just that new law just went into effect, and we are starting to see money coming into the town lodgers um, tax fund, and we need to allocate it. Um, so we are going to be discussing, you know, what that looks like moving forward. Um, so we will be discussing sort of the history of the funding, the history of the agreement, and what we're going to do uh, in the future. And then after that, at 11 a.m., we are going to have our second work session um, regarding uh, the noise ordinance in town. Uh, we This sort of came about, and we've already had one work session so far, sort of discussing that the noise ordinance that we have currently, which is you know no loud noises past 9 p.m. anywhere in town, might be a little outdated, and that uh, some businesses that uh, you know produce live music or special events around town um, were asking us to revisit this, these rules and maybe have different um, rules for different zone districts and also potentially have different rules um, for maybe adjust the time uh, during the day when different decibel limits might be enforced or not. So we're going to kind of hear about what other municipalities do uh, with their noise ordinance and see what, uh, what might work for the town of Telluride. Got it. Um, and then, so that wraps up the morning. And then in the afternoon, there's a lot of maybe kind of smaller items in terms of how much time they're allotted for the day, but are pretty big topics maybe for the community. Can you share what some of those maybe bigger bigger items are in the afternoon? Yeah, so we're going to have um, second reading and approval of an ordinance um, that we're going to be voting on that would amend our municipal code and create some exemptions from the 2D um, short-term rental uh, ordinance that was approved by the voters. Um, one of them is has to do with primary residence criteria, um, a lottery option for licenses that weren't renewed in order for those licenses to be usable um, for new new license applicants since uh, the moratorium was put into place, um, as well as uh, solving some sort of housekeeping things for uh, units that 
cannot be long-term rented and cannot be inhabited by their owners so that they can, you know, guarantee a chance to get a short-term rental license. We're going to be discussing uh, the situation with the Green Dragon, um, major and minor change. We'll be discussing, uh, we'll be making a choice about how to move forward with summer parklets for outdoor dining on Main Street this summer and hearing a liquor license application from a new liquor license um, the Ride Lounge, which is the space above the Woodier. Uh, and lastly, we'll hear from the manager's report with updates on our Town Park Campground Facilities Project update, um, an update on the skate park construction, and then a bunch of other little topics that the town manager is going to discuss, including sales tax, real estate transfer tax, it's definitely, yeah, it's a packed agenda for Tuesday, and we'll definitely be tuned in and also, of course, broadcasting on Kodo. So, Geneva, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thanks so much. Money, 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 an ABBA song, and also the topic on lawmakers' minds at the state capitol. This week on Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Scott Franz talks the Colorado budget. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. So the state legislature, they've been working on the budget for months, but it's getting to the point where they're going to debate it a little bit more in, in public. And so I was hoping that first you could just explain so far, um, what are we seeing that's going into the budget this year? Yeah, well, a lot of the funding we've we've heard about, it's, it's things like the governor's public safety plan, you know, which is just a little over $100 million. There's also... Um, you know, the investments to affordable housing, behavioral health programming, um, free college tuition for foster youth. So definitely a lot of new initiatives that, that weren't in there before. Um, we're expecting this to be, um, you know, a record-breaking budget, one that you know, includes some of the most spending we've seen. Uh, lawmakers actually got their latest forecast, which is probably the most important one of the year. Uh, last week, because it's the final one before they, you know, sign off on a budget, and things are are good still, you know, despite the war in Ukraine, despite you know, rising gas prices and inflation, which you know definitely um, you know have a, a very bad effect on um, you know, many residents. But in terms of the the crafting of the budget, you know, the the revenue projections are still you know above what they. Um, what they thought they'd be. And that means that, you know, lawmakers will get to to fund a lot of their new initiatives um, and programs that they would like, whether it's, um, you know, getting the ball rolling on, um, you know, this effort to, to expand, um, you know, preschool slots around the state, you know, that's expected to be, um, you know, part of this budget or, you know, any of the other things they have to do. On the flip side, you know, this also means that, you know, the state is expecting to exceed that, um, spending limit set by the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. So, you know, that means taxpayers will also see, um, you know, refunds, whether it's uh, probably in the form of a income tax, um, state income tax reduction. But that's kind of where the budget picture sits right now. And I know that, obviously, as, as we said, they've been working on this for months, but they're going to start to 
um, maybe have broader discussions outside of specific committees. Do you expect that there's going to be a lot of changes to the budget once it kind of goes to the the more general assembly, as it were? Or once it gets to that point, does it feel pretty set? You know, I, I am expecting some some changes, especially with this this much money at stake, you know, especially when when budget times are good, lawmakers tend to propose, you know, whether it's projects or funding important to their their districts, right? You know, just like Congress works with, um, you know, spending amendments um, specific to, you know, certain parts of the country, you know, lawmakers do the same thing. And, um, you know, while it's a small group of lawmakers that, you know, have control of writing most of the budget, once it gets to the House and Senate floors, um, we do see some, you know, surprises or, or other funding initiatives. I'm, I'm thinking back to a couple of years ago when, you know, there was a proposal to, to increase transportation funding by, by several million dollars and, you know, kind of get some of the, the projects, including, you know, West Slope projects um, off and running sooner. So, yeah, with, with budget times and forecasts um, so positive, yeah, I definitely think there's going to be opportunities um, you know, for lawmakers to propose things that that perhaps we're not even talking about yet. Right. So on that note, what are the the next steps for this budget before it becomes a finalized document that then is sent to the governor for a signature? Yeah, that's a great question. So today, you know, they're they're having meetings still to to finalize proposals and then Democrats and Republicans each meet in their respective groups and and kind of talk about amendments or you know, tweaks that they'd like to come up with. And and usually what happens is when it when it gets to the, the House and Senate floors here very soon, um, you know, you'll you'll see debates on as many as, you know, sometimes sixty to seventy um amendments for all, you know, specific spending proposals to the budget. You know, most of them I'd say get voted down, um, you know, just based on, you know, the the restraints lawmakers have with how much money they can spend. But, you know, then that happens and then, you know, it, it goes off to the governor. And we usually see this, um, you know, sometimes get signed as, as early as late March. But I think this year we're we're definitely looking at a early April time frame. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. Thank you. That was State House reporter Scott Franz reporting from Denver. The world of light bulbs is complicated. Mint-flavored coffee pods can ruin relationships. Mothers may, at time, wear combat boots. Local author Douglas Fergus explores all these topics and more in his latest book, Small Portions Cafe. The book is a collection of quirky and delightfully weird short stories from the mind of an author who revels in the absurd and ridiculous. The Wilkinson Public Library will be hosting a book launch party on Tuesday, March 22nd at 5.30 p.m. All are welcome and snacks will be provided. Get your snowshoes or skins ready. The Telluride Foundation's second Skidilla is coming to town. The winter equivalent of the Rundela, the Skidilla is an uphill race starting from the base of the gondola in Telluride and finishing at the top of the ridge by San Sofia Station. Racers gain nearly 2,000 feet in elevation any way they can on snow, either snowshoe or skis or skins. 
The race is a fundraiser for the Telluride Mountain Club's Peter Inglis Avalanche Education Fund, which aims to create opportunities for avalanche education and backcountry awareness. The Skidala will take place on March 23rd, starting at 5.30 p.m. Any and everyone is encouraged to participate. Registration is available at runreg.com slash Skidala. Picture a sled in your mind's eye. You may see steel runners of a bobsled or a colorful plastic bottom heading down Firecracker Hill. But head up to the Nastar Hill in Mountain Village this weekend and sleds, for as far as the eye can see, will be cardboard. It's the one-to-one mentoring Cardboard Sled Derby. One-to-one is San Miguel County's youth mentoring program, which pairs adults with youth in the community, meeting at least once a week for homework help, learning new skills, enjoying the outdoors, reading a book, or any more sorts of fun. The Cardboard Sled Derby gives pairs the opportunity to let their imagination fly and build the fastest, wackiest, and most creative of cardboard sleds. Then they fly down the hill. There are prizes for creativity and the top three finishers. The Cardboard Sled Derby will take place at the NASDAQ Race Hill on Saturday, March 26th. Check-in starts at 9 a.m. with the race at 10.30. Pre-registration is required and available at one-to-one-telluride.org. Before it flows through your kitchen faucet, water in the Colorado River Basin takes a long and winding journey. For a lot of homes on Colorado's Front Range, that journey will soon be getting another step. On a trip to the foothills, KUNC's Alex Hager went to watch how a new reservoir takes shape. We are standing at the bottom of the soon-to-be reservoir, and this place is a teeming construction site. There are trucks moving in every direction, trucks that I've never seen before, drilling and moving dirt and hauling rock away. It is a really busy site. There's a lot going on here. I was one of those kids who was really into trucks, and the Tonka-loving toddler in me was in awe at the bulldozers, dump trucks, and excavators so big they could dig the foundation of a house in just three scoops. Joe Donnelly is the project manager. To build this dam where you were hauling or filling 100-ton trucks, and we need to haul a load of rock, place on the dam every two minutes, Uh, five days a week uh, for two and a half years. You can probably tell by now this build is huge. And as project engineer Jeremy Dudo says, it's a lot more than just digging a hole in the ground. Seeing it on plans and seeing pictures of it doesn't really do it justice until you're here standing at the bottom, looking up 350 feet to the top of the dam, 100 feet below where original ground was. Amid the bustle of enormous yellow trucks, we're gazing up past hard hats and piles of dirt, up to the tops of dusty red cliffs that will someday loom over the dam that creates this giant man-made lake. Up there, a perch by the edge provides a view of how far the reservoir will sprawl. Looking out over the chasm, you can understand why this project is so expensive. The reservoir here at Chimney Hollow is going to cost about $500 million. And so when you break that over the four-year construction span, it ends up being $340,000 a day, every day, for the next four years. Jeff Stela is a spokesman for Northern Water, the agency running this site. The project is taking more than 20 years to get permitted and built. Stela says it's needed for rapid growth in cities including Broomfield, Loveland, and Greeley. This is going to be a water source in northern Colorado 
in well into the 21st century. We're thinking generationally and decades down the road with this. Stela says the future is rife with uncertainty, and this reservoir is designed to store water as insurance for the dry times. But if you look farther upstream, Jen Pels with the conservation group Wild Earth Guardians says there's an even deeper uncertainty about how long the water will last. Spending a bunch of money on a reservoir when you don't have the water to fill it is kind of silly. I heard someone have, had a great quote around a refrigerator that's empty doesn't do a lot of good to solve you know, someone's hunger crisis. Colorado is built on moving water around. In this state, about 80% of the water falls on the west side of the mountains. But about 80% of its people live on the east side. With more than two decades of drought straining the Colorado River, which provides so much of that water, some are pushing back on new infrastructure that could strain it even further. Ken Fusick is vice president of the Upper Colorado River Watershed Group. When is enough enough? When are we going to say, or is it every drop of water that is up here will go down to the front range. You can't continue to add population without providing them water. We will all recognize that. But where's that water going to come from? There's only so much. We are a finite resource. Fusick says straining that finite resource where it starts can cause real tangible harm, like algae blooms and threats to the economies that depend on water for recreation. And those same gripes are likely to be brought up against any future proposed reservoirs on the Front Range. As more people move to the area and demand more water, will they be able to get it? Again, Jeff Stela with Northern Water. If we're going to be able to um, exist and, and offer the, the same opportunities to our children and grandchildren on the Front Range, we should consider, and we're doing it here, capture the water when it's available so that we have flexibility in those years when we don't have it. But it'll be a while before Chimney Hollow has the chance to do that. Four more years of construction, three years of filling it with water, and unpredictable changes to the climate and drought stand between today and this water finding its way to Front Range faucets. In Loveland, Colorado, I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for scattered snow showers tonight with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 10 degrees. Tuesday, there is a small chance of snow showers with increasing clouds and a high around freezing. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Tuesday night, expect isolated snow showers with partly cloudy skies and a low around 15 degrees. Wednesday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high near 40 degrees and a low around 20. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. This has been the news for Monday, March 21st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Lisa Welsh, Susan Raman, Marissa Mattis, Andy Coville, Pam Gullery, Kevin Cheney, Megan Berg, Randy Hayes, Linda and David Johnson, Blake Bookstaff, Patrick DeSaro, Monty Degenhart, Jeffrey and Wynne Jones, Jeremy Katz, Randy Marshall Kramer, Judah Cooper, Dahlia Mertens, Shanda Pickard, Ryan Venturi, Mary Woodland, Cindy Obrand, Elizabeth Lavery, Christian Lindbergh, Anthony Cavanaugh, Sean and Tracy Keenan, Jim Looney, Becky Nackendoffel, Carl Hanlon, Bertrand and Laura Marchal, Joseph Brennan Pico, Jim and Joanne Steinbeck, 
Elizabeth Stevenson, Walter Weatherson, Wanda Post, Franz Rassman, Albert Rower, and Mark Seltzer. Thank you all so much.